Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. Here is the deal. Let me kind of go through what we know, and then I want to discuss this with you. It's just mind-boggling, and it might not technically be illegal, but if it's not, it should be. The reality is, no car insurance, no problem. Nuts to that. Let's get them off the road. Impound the cars. Make the streets safer. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. What are those people talking about? You got a deal. A deal is a deal. Stop whining about it. Live up to its obligations. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. During the the newscast, we had that, that ad for what the Kevin Love thing about how take a deep breath, breathe in, breathe out, relax. I was practicing my relaxation strategy before the program because I know I'm, I'm probably there's going to be a number of moments during today's show where I have to breathe in, breathe out and, and just relax. If you want a head start on some of the things we're going to be talking about, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. lot of stuff going on. Let's get started. I have a question. What do you call a place where some residents object to having small American flags placed on public spaces in front of their houses on the 4th of July. What do you call that place? Well, the answer, the answer is Shorewood, because that is precisely what was happening in the People's Republic of Shorewood. Here is the story as reported by the Journal Sentinel. All right, what, what happened is that the Shorewood Foundation announced last week that, hey, they they want to try to bring the community together because Lord knows there's been a lot of divisiveness that's going on. So what they wanted to do at no cost to the taxpayers is they wanted to take American flags. And what they wanted to do was they wanted to go to like the parkways that that appear, the, the public spaces in front of people's houses, you know, like there's the house and then there's the sidewalk, and then there's like that little public way that, that's in front of that. And what they were going to do is they were going to go all through the People's Republic of Shorewood, and they were going to take these little American flags, and they were going to plant them in front of people's homes as a show of, of unity. And, you know, we're at the end of the day, we can have our disagreements. But at the end of the day, we're all Americans, right? You know, and we can take all voices into uh, account. All right. So what happens is that this group announces this. The Shorewood Foundation uh, announces this. Well, they have had to change their plans because you have a handful of Shorewood residents who object to having American flags placed in the public areas in front of their homes. All right. Journal Sentinel reports uh, some one woman that they name was one of several Shorewood residents who objected to the flag initiative. She objects to the flag initiative on the 4th of July. She said, well, everybody should have the right to fly the American flag. Well, thank you. Um, but she didn't think residents should have a flag stuck outside their home without their permission. The flag is a symbol, and symbols have power. And I think it's fair to say the American flag means many different things to different people, especially at this time in history. 
Um, she believes the flag has been co-opted by right-wing groups at a time when the nation is reckoning with its history of police brutality, slavery, colonialism, and racial inequity. It goes on. She tells the paper, in general, it seems like we are at this moment when we need to examine more deeply what has been done and is continuing to be done under the name of patriotism. I would love to fly a flag if I thought our country lived up to the mythological ideals of freedom and equity for all, but unfortunately, it has not. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The lady, and apparently others in Shorewood, object to having little American flags placed in front of their homes on public spaces by this group. And as a result, what happened is the group said, okay, look, we, we, we don't want any trouble on this. If this is going to upset some people, what we're going to do is we're going to give out free American flags to anybody who wants one, and then you can put it on your own property. Okay, so that's that's their, that's their response to this, and that's fine. But I, I want to talk about the larger point, which is, what does it say about a community or individuals in that community that you object to having small American flags on the 4th of July when we are celebrating our independence put on public areas in front of your homes? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, really, has it come to this that you have some people who whose approach to this country is so, I, I don't know, so myopic? that we can't at least recognize that at the end of the day, we are all Americans. And, you know, you don't have to salute the flag, but don't we have to recognize that, you know, we do have these flags and this is the umbrella of freedom that we we live in? And it's not even like you're asking somebody to fly the flag. You are simply saying, we're going to put the flag in public areas, and yes, one might be in front of your home. Who would object to something like this? 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're back to discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. But not apparently for some people in the People's Republic of Shorewood. If you're not following the story, the Shorewood Foundation, as a way of unifying the community on the 4th of July, wanted to take these little American flags and they wanted to put them in the the public area, you know, the area between like the sidewalk and the street in front of all the homes. That that was the idea. Let's have a show of unity because Lord knows there's all sorts of stuff that, that divides us. But all right, we're all Americans at the end of the day, right? Well, they had a number of Shorewood residents who complained. Well, I I don't want the flag. I don't want the American flag in front of my house. Really? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Yvonne in Milwaukee. Yvonne, you're first. Good afternoon. Hi, how are you? Thanks for taking my call. Yes, ma'am. You know, I understand I understand the flag stands for many many things to many people. But the one thing it does stand for is a free country and the best country in the world. And we should all be proud to yep. fly the American flag. 
I live in an inner city neighborhood. God bless them. They can come down and put flags on every one of our lawns. <laughs> and that's all I have to say. No, th- thanks for the call. <laughs> I, I, no, I, I appreciate it. And, and, and right, that, that, that's, that's the thing. Okay. Um, I, people know my story. My, my first wife passed away from cancer a little over four years ago. Okay, we we had a different approach to politics. She was liberal. I was conservative. But you know what she would do? Every 4th of July, first thing in the morning, we would get up and we had, we must have had, I don't know, maybe two dozen, maybe of these little American flags. We would go out and we'd put them all along the sidewalk and we would put them all along the walk, you know, because that despite the fact that we had different politics and despite the fact that there were different things that frustrated it, we were proud to be Americans. And especially on the 4th of July, we are proud to display the flag. And th- this idea that, oh my gosh, this is, this is terrible. The flag means different things to different people. And, and we, we We've got all these issues, and, and, and we're trying to breach this racial divide. Well, okay, if we cannot unite behind the American flag, what can we unite behind? And again, I mean, shame on people in Shorewood who decided to try to kill this initiative because they didn't want the flag put in front of their house. Let's talk to Steve in Jackson. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Hey, how are you doing? Hi, Steve. Ah, this irritates um, me. You can tell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, this lady can be upset as she wants, but that's not her property. Like you said, that carriage walk belongs to the city. You have to cut it, but it's not. it doesn't belong to the house. That's city property. It's never been part of the house's property. Never anywhere. Right. Well, right. Yeah, they have. And had... if they stick up. Well, no, thanks. No, thanks for calling, Steve. But uh, you're right. Uh, but but this is right. The, yes. As, as long as the city gives them permission to do it, they, they can do it. But, but I mean, I look, the, the organization, the Shorewood Foundation, is trying to bring people together. So, I mean, they, they didn't want to push this. I think that they were surprised that you would have a percentage. And I'm hoping it's just a small percentage of people. But I think it kind of surprised them that you would have anybody that would have objected to this. But, of course, this is Shorewood, and you do have some of those folks that, that did. So, I mean, this, this was what they, they did. And I get the foundation. I mean, they're like, okay, look, we, we, we're trying to do something good. We're trying to do something unifying. And if we've got some people out there who don't like the flag and don't want to have it, even though it's in a public walkway in front of their house, you know, we, we don't, we don't want the aggravation. So what we'll do is we'll, we'll give out the flags and then people can put them out themselves. And I, I mean, I think, you know, that, that's a great solution. And I'm not faulting the Shorewood Foundation at all. And I'm not saying that they should force it on it. I'm just saying, I mean, what is it? say that you have a segment of the population in this community, you know, that that is apparently unhappy with or won't feel comfortable having the flag displayed on public property in front of them. That says more to me about those people than it does about anything else. Alan in Cedarburg. Alan, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, I just wanted to point out, I, I live in Cedarburg. I live in the town of Cedarburg. But every 4th of July, I kind of wish I lived in the city because the Byer family, for over a decade, every 4th of July, buys thousands and thousands of flags. And they have an army of volunteers that go out and put a flag in front of every house in Cedarburg. Yes. And people save the flags from year to year, so they line their driveways with them. And it's a, it just emotes a sense of community and right. patriotism. And if someone... If someone thinks we're falling apart as a country, 
well, doesn't this action help bring it back together? Right. And to my knowledge, no one's ever complained. Nobody has ever complained. Perhaps there's a few that have pulled them out and put them away, but they didn't openly argue about it. Right. Right. Yeah. Matter of fact, I've gotten several texts about that, that that Cedarburg, you know, has been doing this for years. You know, again, there's not public money involved because it's like the local hardware store. Is that it that sponsors sponsors these? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Right. And and it's it's a it's a great community thing on the 4th of July, you know, where we're celebrating our independence. I I guess, Alan, I mean, stuff like this, I just find to be mind boggling because it just shows how divided we've gotten. We're not making people stand up for the national anthem. Okay, we're we're not objecting if people want to kneel. This is the one thing that you would think that we could all agree with as Americans is you've got you've got a flag and we shouldn't be embarrassed or unhappy to have the flag displayed on public lands in front of our places. And those rare people that feel that way should just quietly go out and remove it and keep their mouth shut. Well, yeah, I get you right. I mean, I, I guess, but I mean, to, to me, the larger question is, you know, what, who who really objects to this? I mean, this is, I, I know I use this as a cliche, but this is the classic example of what I talk about, the politically correct and the perpetually offended, the, the people that wake up looking for something to be bothered about. They're going to put little American flags on Independence Day out in front of our houses. Oh, my God, this is terrible. This is because the flag is a symbol and symbols have power. It means many different things to many different people it's been co-opted um i mean seriously i mean this is and i I understand there there's people that have what is in my opinion a kooky view of this and and i understand in you know in this world unfortunately the it's the the squeaky wheels that end up getting the grease and and i i I don't criticize the shorewood foundation at all for doing this but you know what i i hope that most of the good people in shorewood don't give in to this kind of lunacy and don't give in to this kind of political correctness. And I hope that they go out and, you know, everybody takes one of these flags and you bring it back and, and forget about displaying it on, on the public walkways. Display it proudly on, on your lawn. As a matter of fact, a number of people are sending me pictures of what they've already started to do, you know, putting out flags in advance of the 4th of July. Because the bottom line is, I've always believed that for most of us, we need to recognize and remember that there's more stuff that unites us than takes us up, that, 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 that separates us. And even if you want to accept that this country has problems, and I think, you know, we all understand that, you know, it's still the greatest country in the world, and you shouldn't be embarrassed to have a flag in front of your house. As you might expect, we are swamped with texts on this. Um, let's see. Uh, um, well, let's see. Get the people on the phone and ask why they object. Well, they tell the paper why they object. If the flag is a symbol and symbols have power, and it's fair to say the American flag means many different things to many different people, don't think that flags should have to be stuck outside people's homes without their permission. Heavy sigh. Um, that's that's what they they think. Jeff, every house in the city of St. Francis has a flag already. Good for St. Francis. Um, 
Let's see. Uh, da, 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 da. Um, Jeff, those few that do not love our country's flag can move to another country. All right. Well, I, you know, I, it's not that. I mean, I, you know, it's one of those things that it's, it's not a question of America, love it or leave it. But I guess my question is, you know, why, why would anybody decide that this is something that they, they don't want to have? Jeff, how long will there be until there's a movement to remove flags from public schools? Where does it stop? Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that is, I think, the fair question. If you live in Shorewood, and let's say that you live across from, I don't know, the post office or city hall or a place that, a public place that displays the flag, okay, and you have to walk out of your house every morning, you know, on the way to get your latte, and what you see is you see the flag flying at the public courthouse. Would you be objecting to that? I mean, where Where do you draw the line? Look, bottom line is it is the 4th of July, and I understand that you're always going to have this fringe who's going to rebel against these things. My hope is that for the vast majority of us, we can put our differences aside, and it doesn't matter who you're going to vote for in November, and it doesn't matter what you feel about, I don't know, defunding the police or whatever, and we can come together and recognize that, yes, the, the American flag is a symbol, and yes, symbols have power. Absolutely. But we shouldn't be ashamed of displaying it on the 4th of July. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. The mayor of Racine's name is Corey Mason. He should be ashamed of himself. What he has done is absolutely disgraceful, and I am not going to be surprised if it ends up costing the taxpayers of Racine a bunch of money in a successful lawsuit. Uh, and I know Steve Scafidi talked about this a little bit earlier today, but but here's the deal. If you haven't been following this, um, last spring, this 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 past spring, after coronavirus came out and just devastated the business community, right? And and we're all about trying to keep businesses afloat. The city of Racine gave out $900,000 in grants to small businesses that were affected by coronavirus. First round, 18 local businesses got grants of up to $15,000 each. In round two, 146 businesses received grants ranging from $2,500 to $6,500. So we're not talking about you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, but just something. So a total of 164 local businesses received some money, some a couple thousand, some up to $15,000 from the city of Racine, which brings me to a business that didn't get any money. Um, Dimples Fine Imports, LLC. Okay, it's been a business that has been in Racine for 21 years. Okay, owned by uh, a, a husband and, and wife. They applied twice for grants to receive city assistance through this Small Business Emergency Assistance Fund. Okay, when they didn't get one of the big ones for up to $15,000, you know, they, they, they weren't, all right, we, we, we didn't qualify. There was only 18 that got the big money. But 146 got the 2500 to 6500 So they reapplied, and they didn't get any of that money either. So then, you know, they, they started asking around. And first, they were apparently lied to by authorities. First, they were said there wasn't enough money. And they're going, well, okay, well, why did everybody else get, get some money? So, that, but first it was, they were lied to, and then they, they start pursuing this. 
And apparently that the mayor, Corey Mason, big time lefty, said, well, the reason you didn't get it was because the husband, Dennis, had attended a rally in Madison on April 24th in opposition to the state's safer at home order. And he went on WTMJ television and he was interviewed. And he says, okay, so this, this is the idea. So he said, yeah, we, you are, you didn't get the money because you participated in a political rally that I didn't like. Well, that's not quite what he said, but that's what he meant. So I, I just, I guess I, I find it sort of unbelievable that a public official would say, we're denying you access to public money because you exercised your First Amendment rights. I, 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 but but apparently in Racine, the mayor, he, he's comfortable enough. He says that's exactly right. What he said, he said uh, to the Journal Times and Racine, participating in mass gatherings outside of our community, like the rally that was held at the state capitol. Such large gatherings have been linked to cases of COVID-19 around the state and then returning to our city only served to put our residents at unnecessary risk and thus factored into the funding consideration. So, yes, you went to Madison, you exercised your First Amendment rights, you protested the safer at home order, and I, as the mayor, I'm going to punish you by not giving you any of this grant money. Wow. That, that's that's what they did. And he, he makes no bones about this. Now, I would be curious whether any of the 160 some businesses that did get money, whether they chose to participate in like some of the other protests and rallies that have been going on over the course of the last couple weeks and whether that's a basis for denying them the dough. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And by the way, Corey Mason, the disgrace of a mayor in Racine, is not backing down. He says, as mayor, it's my duty to protect the public health of our city's residents. While I certainly support the rights of free speech and assembly, (laughs) I cannot in good conscience send city resources to a person or business that willingly jeopardized public health. Okay, so public health by going and attending the protest saying that we don't think the governor has the authority to continue to keep the state shut down, a a position, by the way, that was subsequently supported by the state Supreme Court. Our number, 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think it is absolutely outrageous that a public official would choose to punish a local business that has been in operation for 20 plus years simply because somebody had the audacity to attend a rally that advocates a position apparently contrary to what the mayor thinks should have happened. All right. Is there any legitimate basis for denying these people money? My answer would be no. And when there is a lawsuit, inevitably, I think that, you know, pretty much it's going to be viewed as an illegal illegal restriction on their rights to free speech to say you can't get public money simply because you protested something that the government was doing. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This bother you? We'll discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I just, it's, it's not only that this is going on in Racine, it's that the mayor apparently is proud of the fact that he's decided that he's going to deny grant money to a local business because, heaven forbid, they went, the owners went to Madison and, and protested the governor's safer at home order, which by the way was struck down by the state Supreme Court. We're now joined by Dennis, who is one of the owners of Dimples Fine Imports in Racine. Good afternoon, sir. Hi. Uh, I thought you might want to talk to the guilty party. Well, the guilty Okay. It, it, have, I, have I fairly described this? I mean, you were told you, you weren't getting the dough because you and your wife went to, or you went to the, the Safer at Home protest in Madison. Yeah, that's right. I mean, he, you know, I, he admitted it, so I give him credit for that. He admitted it, so yeah, that's <laughs> That's what happened. <laughs> so, I, I, so you know, if if you had attended other protests, you know, may, maybe you would have been able to get the money. But because you were objecting to the safer at home thing, this this Madison has just denied you money that went to 164 other businesses. Yeah, um, that, that's right. I mean, it, it's a pretty blatant um, uh, denial of a First Amendment right. Um, so that's outrageous. Um, but he, like you said in your segment there, he is doubling down too. Um, he's now accusing me of behaviors in Madison of recklessness, endangerment to the public, flagrant violations. It's just flat out not true, Jeff. Um, I, and I can prove it. I went there. I wore a mask the entire time. I stayed on the periphery of the event. I kept six feet away from people. I did everything you were supposed to do. So. Yeah, my crime was basically saying something that he didn't like. Well, well, exactly. And I, again, I, I wonder whether, as I was speculating earlier, I wonder whether whether anybody that was associated with any of the hundred plus businesses that got money attended some of these other protests in the last few weeks. My guess is probably yes, just a guess. But my guess is there were probably some people that were out there protesting, and and Corey Mason wasn't upset with them. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I assume you're right. Yeah. Um, okay, so let, let's talk about this. Dennis, what what motivated you to go to the Safer at Home protest to begin with? Well, I mean, I, and this, these are things that are, you know, are on tape. I mean, I basically have what I consider pretty benign points of view on the subject, and, and that was, you know, Menards and Walmart were open, uh, liquor stores were open, and I, I felt like small businesses could provide every bit as safe an environment. Um, so that was one point I, mm-hmm. I made when I was there. Um, the other was that it was, um, you know, that you can care about the, the virus and be worried about the disease and care at the same time about the economic damage that was happening. And lastly, I thought that um, it was needlessly political. I mean, there were people losing their jobs right and left, and they weren't all conservatives. I mean, they're, you know, your bartender, your waitress, whatever, they don't care about politics. They, they just... They lost their job, you know, and they're and they're hurting. So, um, yeah, that's why I went. I, you know, I had these thoughts, and I I don't think they're any you know radical or anything. <laughs> you know, that's why I went. Did Did it ever occur to you that your act of of going to Madison and then having the audacity to go on on TV and be interviewed would end up costing you thousands of dollars after the mayor decided to retaliate against you? I, it wasn't on my mind for sure. Um, I mean, but we do. We are living in a cancel culture, so uh, I guess I shouldn't be surprised anymore. So where does this where does this go? I mean, I, I I'm I'm a recovering lawyer, but I, I try not to play one on the radio. But what 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 hap- I mean, where where do you go? Are you going to take this lying down? Yeah, uh, no. Um, we, we are presently being represented by uh, Will Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty. Right. You know, they focus on First Amendment uh, uh, infringements. 
Um, so I, I'm also, frankly, concerned about the slander, um, I'll call it, because w- what he described about me uh, in Madison is flat-out untrue, and I can prove it. So he's also he's sort of doubling down and trying to destroy my reputation at the same time. I mean, look, I've been in this business for 20 years. I've tried to take care of my customers best I can. We had a good reputation, and he's going to try to trash it publicly, falsely, and, um, you know, there's, you know, probably has enough allies that pe- people probably won't shop with me that did before and that kind of thing. And, you know, uh, it's, it's terrible. It's wrong. He, sh- he should stop. He should apologize. I, I don't anticipate any of that happening. But, uh, you know, I, I can't right. take it sitting down because I've worked really hard to get to my wife and I've worked very hard to get where we are. What's the nature of your business? Uh, it's fine imports. So I assume you well, well, explain. Know, what do you bring in? What do you do? Yeah, sure. We, my, my wife and I, she's originally from India, and we started bringing in uh, silver jewelry from India. And over the years, we've expanded a lot of silver jewelry. Uh, it's a boutique, a lot of home decor, gifts, mm-hmm. um, accessories, that sort of thing. Um, yeah. Right. So I, I mean, I, so I can understand your frustration. This is I, I have friends who, for example, run a jewelry store, and they they were shut down during the governor's order, and they would say, "Well, you you you, you can go over to Walmart or Target and buy a watch, but you can't mm-hmm. come into our little tiny store that never has more than a handful of people in it, and you can't buy it there." And and they were going through that same degree of frustration. So I'm sure the, the, the same thing sort of played out at your place too. I would imagine. I mean, it, it didn't make sense to me, and I, you know, I had to let some employees go, which I've never had to do before. Um, you know, so it's been tough. I mean, it's, it's a tough year for us, especially. We we have a, a little niche business outside of here where we we sell our jewelry in, in hospitals as fundraisers. As you can imagine, all of that's shut down. So, like, I mean, we're we're being hammered, and I get it. A lot of other businesses are too, but. And then on top of that, to have your mayor like you know take it up, take stuff right. out on you, it seems personal and um, or at least political. Uh, at, at this time, uh, you know, at this challenging time, it's 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 not good. No, Dennis, thanks so much for joining us. We'll uh, continue to follow the story. I guarantee it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Th- thanks for having it on. You know, no, absolutely. Well, thank. Well, I mean, no. It th- this is th- this is wrong. And story story is is dimples fine imports. But this this is abuse of political power in the worst way. I mean, just, just uh, let let's imagine. Uh, imagine that. All right, we we still have you know we still have all the the safer at home and and no mass gathering sort of orders things. Uh, imagine if if Corey Mason, the mayor of Racine, had decided, well, okay, we're we're going to look at some of the the Black Lives Matter protests, or the police brutality protests, and you know people are out there without masks and they're they're violating our instructions that you you know you don't have so many people out there. Um, imagine if he would have said, okay, well, we're not going to provide money to this business or that business because you you were out in public this is discrimination by an elected official based on content and content alone and this pretext of well you know you 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 how dare you how dare you go to madison and how dare you and and again dennis is very very clear he's wearing a mask he's practicing social distancing what what the mayor didn't like is the fact that you have this businessman who decides to stand up and advocate a position which candidly i think was pretty a mainstream position that the mayor just didn't approve of and the mayor decided in a churlish, childish, and abusive fashion to decide to punish this business in Racine. It is wrong. It is indefensible. The mayor should be ashamed of himself. Brian in Racine. Brian, you're a WTMJ. Yes, uh, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. I agree totally with uh, Mr. Navratel's position here. 
he was on barely single out just because he did not meet Mayor Corey Mason's leftist agenda. Yep. I live in Racine, and I see this all the time. I don't know if you know, but there's a lawsuit right now in court to turn over his draconian lockdown right. that basically was going on until a week ago in the city of Racine. A restri- yeah. An order was put against that. He came in the following Monday and basically what the judge was yet to rule on, he turned that into a city ordinance that yep. was passed word for word, just cut and paste. Yep. Yep. No, it's uh, Brian. So thank, no, all, right. And it's yep. part of the so agenda. No, thanks for the call. It's part of the agenda that, that the mayor is advocating. And and again, it, it's fine. You want to pass the ordinances. That's OK. But to use the power of the person, this grant program to single out a business that's been there for 20 some years because they are advancing a political position that you don't like tells you what a petty person this mayor is. It is outrageous. And if you tried to do it about another political issue, well, you understand that this would be a firestorm and you would have people that would be demanding the mayor resign. But because you've got a leftist mayor and you've got people who are advocating, hey, the the safer at home order, it doesn't make any sense the way it's being interpreted. So if you, you know, because it's that, position you know all right let's just use our power to abuse this particular store owner here's a text jeff dimples is an amazing store there aren't many like it left in racine they're hard-working business people who are loved in racine i'm going to be shopping there for sure um Jeff, thank you for having another text. Thank you for having the Dimples story on. It's much appreciated. Um, you know, we, we need people to support that business. It, it's so wonderful, you know, that, that's out there. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a wonderful store. You cannot allow yourself to be bullied by this petty tyrant that is now the mayor of the city of Racine who's decided to use the political power and taxpayer dough as far as grants to punish his political enemies. And I guess the one thing that continues to be stunning about this and it shows the lack of shame that mayor Corey mason has is that he's, he's proud of this i mean it, it's not even apparently they they somebody lied to these folks in the beginning and said well there just wasn't enough grant money to go around but now they're just admitting it. yep a- absolutely we're not giving it to you because we didn't like the fact that you went to madison to protest against this rule shame on you Corey mason and i'm going to tell you something you should be outraged down in the city of racine because This could happen to you next. You run afoul of the tyrant that is running that city, and this could happen to you if you were a businessman. Also, everybody should be outraged because if there is a lawsuit filed, and it seems inevitable, um, my guess is just taxpayers get ready to write a check because of the behavior of your mayor. If you want more links to the story, you want to see some of the more some of the details that we didn't get into, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. Absolutely outrageous what is going on in Racine. Shame on the mayor. And this is Jeff Wagner. For people who are are, are freaking out when they, they turn on the radio or they turn on the TV news and they're obsessing with, with the stories about, oh, we're seeing spikes in coronavirus and things like that. I, there, there is, there, there's another side of the story that you have to keep in, in perspective. And yes, it is true. 
as was inevitable once we started to open up that, that you'd have more reports of the virus. All right. And, and that's not a good thing. At the same time, it is interesting that um, three out of the last four days, there have been no, no new coronavirus deaths in Wisconsin. And even though you see the number of cases that have gone up, what you see is the number of patients in hospitals is steady, and it's at the lowest level since April. So what is going on? Well, it's because a good percentage of those new cases are are young people, you know, people in in their 20s, okay, um, who are are going out and they're not practicing social distancing, and that that's a bad thing. But at the same time, we know who coronavirus affects the worst, and that's people who are older or people who have underlying health conditions. So it's not a good idea that anybody gets sick. That's not a good thing. But if you're going to have people that are going to be going out, they're going to be getting sick, it, it's the people that, you, that, that at least are best able to tolerate it. And so to me, when you look at the crisis, the two things you start with are, are who's dying from it. And like I say, the number of deaths, no new deaths yesterday, no deaths in three of the last four days, hospitalization steady. So you'd like to see the young people decide to practice social distancing as well. But the bottom line is um, that, that the those numbers, the death numbers, the hospitalization numbers are not dramatically increasing. And that's a good thing. That might be the silver lining in the dark cloud that is the pandemic. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Eric, you were talking about Carl Reiner passing away at the age of 98. Mm-hmm. And, of course, um, just a, a comedy genius who was the creator behind the, the, the Dick Van Dyke Show. Yeah. You know the interesting piece of trivia from the Dick Van Dyke Show? When you think of you, you remember the show, Oh, right? sure. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. so... It was you know, Dick Van Dyke who played Rob Petrie, and then you, you had his wife, Laura, who was played by... Oh, I don't know. Mary Tyler Moore. Thank you. Thank All right. You. No, Mary Tyler... Okay. And, well, anyways, here, here's, the, here's the sidelight. When, when they originally came up with that story, the storyline, it was going to be... It was going to focus on, you know, Rob, the Dick Van Dyke character, who was the, the, the comedy writer. I mean, okay. he wrote for... The Alan Brady Show, and you know Carl Reiner played Alan Brady, but he, but he was the creator, and and you had you know Rosemary who was that played Sally Rogers, and you had the other character Buddy Sorrell played by Maury Amsterdam, and it was supposed to be an office comedy, and it was just but they needed a, a wife for Dick Van Dyke, and so they they cast Mary Tyler Moore who was pretty much this, this unknown, and mm-hmm. it was always going to be like this bit role, and so they they put her into the show. And she was the breakout star. Everybody wanted Mary Tyler Moore. So what they ended up doing is they kind of shifted the focus of the show away from the office. And more and more of the episodes were them at home, Rob and Laura at home. And the interesting story is it really, what's the word I can say on the radio? It hacked off. Maury Amsterdam and um, Rosemary, who were, I mean, they, they thought they were going to be like the big supporting sure. characters, yeah, yeah, yeah. and they thought it was going to be this office thing, but Mary Tyler Moore got so popular that all of a sudden the storylines switched to that, mm-hmm. and so apparently there was some like tension and stuff on the set because they were like, wait, we signed up, this was supposed to be, we were going to be like the, the star supporting things, but Mary Tyler Moore was such a breakout star that the they just saw that's where the popularity went. Isn't amazing? The rest is history. I mean, her career was oh, remarkable. Oh, oh, absolutely. And, you know, it was going back in time. She was, 
she was the up until then a, a lot of the the women on TV had been kind of like the the June Cleaver like the Barbara Billingsley you know where you're you're vacuuming you know in the pearls and, mm-hmm. and stuff yeah. like that and you know you, you had Mary Tyler Moore who wore these those capri pants and stuff that they still have and that was that was like groundbreaking at the time that you'd have a woman coming out in in pants much less pants that really look good you know so it's but it was just it it was interesting carl reiner always just talk about that but just what what an incredibly talented guy yeah um, in 98 i I knew he was getting up there but wow 98 years old yeah so um yeah but but sail on just uh, just great of course he was the the dad of rob reiner who Mm -hmm. got his first big break he was on all in the family he played you know the the son-in-law he played meathead on all in the family and then went on to become you know a movie director and movie producer and stuff but carl weiner passing away at the age of 98 but you know his the the dick van dyke show was just and it it's one of these things just holds up to this day i mean you can watch the dick van dyke show today and it's just as funny as it was you know when it first aired back in the day all right um, if you want to get a head start on some of the stuff that you know, we talk about on the program, you can follow me on Twitter. And, and matter of fact, a lot of that stuff today because I've just it's been like one thing after another. All right, I want to give you a description. Uh, I am, as we're sitting here now, I am wearing, I am wearing what people might refer to as a Hawaiian shirt. It, it's actually. It's a silk Tommy Bahama shirt, but it's it's blue and it's got some like flowers and stuff on it. Um, it is incredibly comfortable, and it is the perfect shirt to wear on a day where you know it's seventy five or eighty degrees outside. It's also, I mean, while you can get some kind of like cheap um, Hawaiian shirts, I guess that this is trust me on this one. It, it, it is not an inexpensive shirt. I just bring that up because I I wear this because. I like it. And when I was planning on what I was going to wear to work today, I, I thought, okay, th- I kind of laid out the clothes last night. I said, this is what I'm going to wear. So imagine my surprise this morning when I see a story in the New York Times, the headline of which is, what do you do when extremism comes for the Hawaiian shirt? And if you want to f- see this story, I- I've got a link to it up. Again, you can follow me at, at Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. Here's the deal. You got to follow me through this. Um, the, the, the classic Hawaiian shirt, you know, the, the type of shirt that I have, have described that, that people have worn for decades. If you are a Jimmy Buffett fan, you wear a shirt like that to, to the Jimmy Buffett concerts. Um, all right, some of these might be tacky, but you know what? They're, they're comfortable. So my guess is you, you perhaps own one. Maybe you own more than one of these. Maybe you look at them and say, okay, that's the kind of shirt my dad would wear, so I'll never wear it. But you know what I'm talking about, the, the Hawaiian shirts. Well, here is, is the deal. The Hawaiian shirt has been co-opted to an extent, because if, if you heard about th- this this nutcake group of of right wing extremists, the 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 Boogaloo Boogaloo boys, and um, you know that's it, it's th- these are the the folks, the right wing extremists that that show up at these protests, lots of times, you know, carrying guns, and, and the history of of where this comes from is 
it's it's really really muddled and i don't think anybody knows but it's sort of like in this this weird dark corner of of the internet and there there are dark corners out there and there's some on the left and there's some on the right but you have you know some of these fringe players you know who who show up as parts of these citizen militias and one of the things that that they do is that they wear various Hawaiian shirts and don't even get me started as, as to where this comes from. But you've got some of these fringe players who wear, again, the, the Hawaiian shirts. And so what's going on now is th- this idea that if you decide that you are going to go to your closet and, and you're going to wear a Hawaiian shirt, you've got to be careful because you may be sending this message that you, in fact, are part of this really kind of like fringe movement because you got a handful of these right-wing nutcases who are the, the boogaloo boys who wear these shirts. So that means that, you know, anybody that wears the shirts has to be careful. Sort of like what happened a couple months ago. Remember with the OK sign where you, you take your thumb and your forefinger and you put them together and then you extend your other three fingers and, and because... That's some sort of weird symbol off on the Internet. Now that's become something that if you do it, that means that you are some sort of racist. All right. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I am not part of this fringe right-wing whack job group. All right. I, I get that. But at the same time, should we be giving into the cancel culture that's now saying because this group wears these shirts Nobody else should be able to wear these shirts. I reject that notion completely. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. See, I think people of goodwill have to refuse to give in and allow commonplace things to be hijacked by by the fringe that, that's out there. And again, you saw it a couple of months ago with the OK sign. So because you have, you know, some of these the, these fringe elements and, you know, that that's one of the ways that they symbol that symbolize and they signal that they're members of the same sort of fringe group by by making that OK sign. That then means I don't know if you're, you know, saying, hey, everything is OK. And you're ex- you're putting your thumb and forefinger together and raising your other three fingers. But the, the typical single sim- um, signal you do, for example, if you're if you're a diver, you can't do that anymore because people are going to assume that you're part of one of the, these fringe movements. And 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 I reject that. I, I don't think we can allow normal behavior and normal things to be hijacked by this fringe. And then everybody assumes, okay, well, if you're making the okay sign, you must be really part of this secret society. Similarly, my guess is there's all sorts of people who, like me, have a handful of what I'm going to describe as the Hawaiian shirts sitting in their closet that they they wear on different occasions. And and I look, I, I've, I've been wearing shirts like this for, I don't know, 30, 40 years or, or whatever. And I, I like them. They're, they're comfortable. They, they don't send any message other than, Hey, I'm, I'm relaxed and it's warm outside and this is a comfortable shirt to wear. And I, for one, refuse to give into, you know, th- this idea that, that's out there. And yet again, 
This is now the, the message that's out there on the Internet that because these fringe groups wear this particular apparel, anybody else who wears the apparel, well, okay, they should be viewed with suspicion. And I'm sorry, I, I just reject that. And I think people need to refuse to do it. There's a, in this New York Times uh, piece, there's a, they quote a political columnist for Esquire, and he says, Look, he says, I've got, I've got a God-given right to wear this shirt. You don't get to create a statement for me. Uh, his name is Charles Pierce. He says he owns more than 30 Hawaiian shirts. That's more than I have. He says, I will do whatever I can to keep this from being hijacked by people with grim and bloody fantasies. And I will consider to continue to wear them no matter what. You know, um, I think it's important that we be able to preserve this. And, and this is the, the same thing. So I, I give you a head start on this because, again, the, the notion is that this is going to be the, the latest thing that um, if you are, are wearing this type of stuff, you know, what's going to happen is that you're, you know, you're going to be targeted and you might be viewed in a certain fashion. And that the truth of the matter is sometimes for people out there who are looking for hidden meanings, sometimes, as a matter of fact, most times, a shirt is just a shirt. And it's not a political statement. And it's especially not a f- statement that you're part of some, like, fringe group that's out there, no matter what that fringe group chooses to do. Period. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. If you are just tuning in, um, you've got I-94 eastbound in Milwaukee County is is closed down. Diversions um, going on for the last 25 minutes or so right near the 70th Street exit. Um, so far, no word on the nature of the investigation, but it's what, what we're being told is it's an enforcement action. And a number of people are texting us saying that there's deputies like that are walking uh, along the side of the roadway as if they're looking for evidence or things like that. And again, we will we'll continue to bring you the information. But right now, like I say, um, I-94 eastbound, they're, they're getting people off the freeway. Uh, right around 70th Street, near the 70th Street exit. So if you're coming into downtown, you you want to take an alternate route. That, that's just, just the bottom line, because otherwise you're going to get stuck in traffic and you're going to be diverted off. We do not know how long the closure is going to last, but we will continue to keep you updated on that. All right, the I think a lot of us who are sports fans are, are very glad of the fact that, that sports are going to be starting up again. And, and the plan is... Major League Baseball is going to resume with an abbreviated season at the end of July. Uh, the NBA is going to resume with, with an abbreviated season, I guess like eight games, and then they'll, they'll go into the playoffs. Um, the NBA is creating the, this bubble, so they're, all the, the teams that are involved in this are going to be going to, to Disney World, essentially, and they're going to be playing their games there. Um, the, the plan for Major League Baseball, and they haven't announced a schedule yet, but they're trying to keep things more local. So fans won't be allowed in the stands, but they will be playing home games, and the way it's going to work is you're going to play, I think, 40 games against teams in your division and then another 20 games against teams in the, the corresponding division, the Ameri- in the case of the Brewers, the American League. So 20 games against the American League Central, 40 games against the National League Central. So that, that's kind of the, the plan. The, the one thing that's going to be really interesting to see, though, is the fact that Major League Baseball isn't going to make players play. 
In, in other words, if you have players that for whatever reasons decide that they're not comfortable playing or whatever, they, they, they have the option to kind of opt out. And, um, you know, yesterday, a couple big time players, uh, Mike Leake, Ryan Zimmerman, who is, He's towards the end of his career, but, you know, he's been a, a cornerstone for the world champion Washington team. Uh, Joe Ross as well. You know, they're all saying that they're he's a pitcher for the Nationals, that they're they're opting out. They're saying, you know, for personal health, safety of ourselves and loved ones, you know, we're, we're not playing. So what they're going to do is by making that decision, they, they forfeit their prorated salary. But. Yeah, you know, they get to sit out the year. So far, it's these three and a couple others. But I do think it's going to be interesting to see as time goes on whether or not more players simply make the decision that, for whatever reasons, because of health concerns or because of the abbreviated nature, abbreviated nature of the season or whatever, and the fact that they're going to be getting prorated salaries, that it's just not worth their time and their efforts. So the three or four players already, so far nobody on the Brewers has announced that they're going to be sitting out. But you do wonder if a couple big names decide that they're just not going to play, what that's going to mean moving forward for the competitive nature of, of baseball. And then, of course, the other question is, what what's going to happen when inevitably somebody does test positive for coronavirus or a couple players on a team test positive? What does that mean? This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. June, and today is the last day of June, National Dairy Month. A great time to recognize dairy farmers of Wisconsin, make a special effort to enjoy their products, and let's all raise a cold glass of milk to toast Wisconsin's dairy farmers. Gru, you ever been to a farm breakfast? They do those all over in June. You ever done that? Uh, sort of. I actually did a volunteer work with um, a farm back when I was in college uh-huh. in Stevens Point. Uh, we were uh, chitting potatoes for like three, four hours or mm-hmm. something like that. And then at the end, we had some sort of breakfast. And then it was like 2 p.m. We all took a photo together and then we left. That was about I, it. Uh, well, I can remember back in another life, um, you know, of course, in in many, many counties throughout the state, I mean, they have multiple farm breakfasts where, you know, what you do is you, you go visit the farm and you pay X amount of dollars and you have pancakes and all, all this kind of dairy stuff. It was just... And as somebody who loves breakfast, I, I loved doing that. And if you run for if you run for elective office in Wisconsin, you get used to like like going to the dairy breakfasts in June, and it's actually kind of cool. You get to see all the different farms. And um, I, I have always said I have the greatest respect for dairy farmers because uh, those those cows. They they just need to be milked a couple times a day. They don't care if it's New Year's Eve. They don't care if it's your birthday. They don't care if it's Christmas Day. Uh, they don't care if you've got a hundred and two fever. They just know that they need to be milked. And I um, I just again have the greatest respect for people who work in the dairy industry. All right, let us go where angels fear to tread. The the number when it comes to COVID nineteen. There are a number of different groups of people that are out there. There are some people, and you know who you are, and you send me texts all the time, who who just are uncomfortable going outside um, until there is a vaccine. Oh, people are going to get sick. Everybody's going to die. It's it's going to be the, the plague. 
All right. There, there's that group of people and you know who you are. Then there's the other group of people who are like, oh, you know what? What the heck? Everybody dies sometime. And so we're, we're just going to go out and we're not going to pay any attention to this at all. And we're going to live our life. All right. To me, both of those extremes make no sense. Um, and it's not like, well, you know, you, you care about the economy and you don't care about lives. You care about lives. You don't care about the economy. It, it's not a binary choice. You know, as I have been saying for months, what I think you have to do is we have to recognizing that coronavirus is going to be with us for the foreseeable future. We, we have to figure out how to live with this. All right. And to me, living with it means you take reasonable precautions. You try to, again, go back to what we originally talked about months ago when it comes to flattening the curve, which is to try to make sure that the hospital systems aren't overwhelmed and also try to prevent the damage as much as you can. And, and to that extent, we've, we've learned a lot of stuff. We understand when it comes to you know coronavirus that the vast majority of people who are going to get sick are, are going to get better. That that's the vast majority of, of people. Now you don't want to get it. You don't you don't want to get the flu. You don't want to get measles. You but the vast majority of people who get COVID nineteen coronavirus, they're gonna get better. Now there are some people who are gonna get it, they're gonna get really sick, and there's some people who are gonna get it and they're gonna die. And and we know that the people who tend to get the sickest and the people who have the the deaths, we, we know they as a general rule fit into certain categories, namely they're over sixty. And it gets more dangerous the, the older they get and or they have underlying health issues like high blood pressure, uncontrolled diabetes or um, obesity. So if you're 75 years old and you've got a compromised immune system and you're 50 pounds overweight, all right, you, you're, you're in that targeted risk group. And for you, all right, you've got to take special precautions not to get sick. All right. That that's just it. So we all try to figure out what that balancing is. I, I think, and some people disagree with me, and that, that's fine, I, I, we're, we're not going to be able to shut down the businesses again. We're not going to be able to go back where we were months ago, and I would argue we don't need to do that. I mean, again, we, we've learned what we need to do is protect the people that are most vulnerable, the people that are in the nursing homes, for example, who, if it gets into a nursing home, it's particularly going to be just, just, just a horrible sort of result. So you've got to concentrate on that, and that's where you spend a lot of your effort. But at the same time, you, you want people to be smart about exposing themselves. You want people to be to social distance. You would hope people aren't pouring into into bars and things like that, you know, where you're packing 150 people into a place that, that seats that has 120. All right. What we are seeing as we reopen, and we talked about this earlier in the show, is that you have more particularly young people. It's one of the reasons why, despite the fact that COVID numbers are going up um, in many parts of the country, in Wisconsin, for example, the number of deaths we, we've only we haven't had any deaths in the last two days and three of the last four days, which which is a good thing. Hospitalizations have not gone up in any sort of dramatic fashion, and it's because the people that are getting this now tend to be younger, so they're not they're they're they're, they're they are less risk adverse. Meanwhile, I think there's a lot of people who are older who recognize that they're in these sort of targeted areas and, and they're, they're staying home. They're, they're limiting where they go more than some of the young people are. But, you know, that's what we're doing as we try to figure out how we balance this. All right.
that brings me to the subject of masks. And we've talked about masks on many occasions. Um, some people don't like to wear masks. Other people think, no, you, you've got to wear masks. And businesses, the way it works now, businesses in many parts of the state just in, encourage you to wear masks. For example, on the way, I always carry a mask with me. In the way, on the way in today, I had to stop off at a pharmacy, pick up a prescription. All right? Have the mask with me, pull out of my pocket, put it on. The, the store I went into, the pharmacy, did not mandate wearing masks. But you know what? They encouraged it. So I'm cool with it. They encouraged it. That's fine. Put on the mask. You know, went in. Um, when we go to grocery stores, the grocery stores I go to, they don't mandate it, but they encourage it. So I, I, I put on, on the mask. So that's how I handle it. Um, in the city of Milwaukee, businesses are free to require you to wear masks. They, they, they can they can encourage it and they could also require it, kind of like the no shoes, no shirt, no no service. You know, if, if you want to come in here, you have to wear a mask. A number of businesses, more than 70 Milwaukee businesses, are now calling on the mayor and the common council to not make the wearing of masks optional in businesses. Instead, they want it to be required in all restaurants, bars, and other visits businesses visited by the public. In other words, you would have no option as other than to require people to wear masks. And in restaurants and bars, patrons would be required to wear masks when they are not eating or drinking. And I'm not exactly sure how you, you do that. I mean, do you wear the mask, you order, and then you get to take the mask off between bites, or you get to take the mask off while you're eating and then put it back on as soon as you're finished? I don't know how you do that in bars. What do you do? Wear the mask until you're going to take a sip and then put the mask back on. But in any event, this coalition of businesses wants it to be required. That is, the law would say you have to do that. Interestingly, an, an alderman that I, I think is almost always wrong on issues. Bob Bauman, he's quoted on our news today as saying that it, it's just it's just not practical. I mean that the city the city isn't in a position to enforce this and that if business owners want to enforce it, they have every right to do it. All right. Our number, eight five five six one six one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. There is nothing right now that stops any business from saying, You want to come into our place, you gotta wear a mask. They have every right to do that. Do we need the city to go further and say, essentially, we're going to have an ordinance. We're going to pass a law that says you've got to wear a mask. And if you think that's a good idea, my question then is, how are we going to enforce that? Are we going to be calling the police every time somebody isn't wearing a mask inside a, a building? And what are the police going to do? Are they going to arrest people? Are they going to ticket people? Tell me how, as a practical matter, you enforce this. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. That, to me, is 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 the hang-up. I think businesses have every right to say, we want you to wear a mask. And you can argue, I understand why businesses might do that and, and have no problem with that and then people get to decide whether they want to patronize that business or not do we need a citywide ordinance which will say if you don't wear the mask you're going to get a ticket you're going to get fined you're going to be arrested and tell me how we're going to enforce it the practical question 855-616-1620 that's the accident mortgage talk and text line because honestly i don't see how that's going to happen 
I mean, and if you're not going to plan to vigorously enforce a rule, why why would you do it in the first place? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Heavy sigh. Jeff, young people are getting very sick, some dying. Um, it, okay. Look, I, I just, you know, here, here's the bottom line. Nobody wants to get coronavirus. But at the same time, the 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 increase in the numbers appears to be younger people who are getting it. And as a general rule, younger people, and yes, can, can some have a reaction and can some die? Absolutely. But that's not where the overwhelming bulk of the deaths are. Are. Now, nobody, again, wants to get sick, but if you've got to prioritize this, I mean, I think the priority has to be making sure that the people who are most vulnerable are protected. And and again, I, I understand that there's some people who are in complete and total panic mode. We've got to shut down everything. Um, I, I think that there needs to be a balancing. But the question becomes, all right, in this case, should the city of Milwaukee mandate masks and how do you enforce it? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Carrie in Pleasant Prairie. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Great to have you um, take my call. Yes, ma'am. I um, just walked out of Costco not but a half an hour ago, and I had been listening to you um, before and after, of course, when I walked out. But while I was in the store, um, I realized how much calmer I felt. Mm-hmm. Because everyone is wearing a mask. Um, Costco put a um, you know, word out right. shortly after the stay-at-home orders started um, leavening or opening. And, um, I, I, and everybody there today was adhering to it and, mm-hmm. it, and it felt good. Yeah, and it made you and it inspired you to want to go to Costco, perhaps, as opposed to maybe some other store that doesn't have the mask requirement, right? Well, um, yeah, and I mean, I do, you know, you're out and about and you're grocery shopping, and of course not everybody's wearing one, but um, I just thought to myself, I wish things could have been a little different a month or two ago, mm-hmm. maybe from our leadership on down, with the importance, you know, just mm-hmm. stressing how important it is to wear a mask. You're talking about something that wears, that weighs a couple of ounces, you have it on for maybe 10 minutes, 45 minutes, and it's off. And I just think people make way too big a deal of it. Thanks thanks for call, Carrie. I appreciate it. And, and look, I, I want to be real clear here. I, I First of all, I, I think if businesses require it, they have every right to do that. So I – and that's – and, and I understand why they want to do they want to do that, and I understand. I mean, for example, one of the reasons I wear a mask in I, I think I'm relatively healthy. I'm pretty convinced that I'm not I, I'm not sick right now. But you know, I guess you never know. You could be asymptomatic. But I guess I view putting on a mask in some of these businesses as a gesture of respect. In other words, that you know, if the the people, the cashiers, etc., if they've got to wear a mask, then okay, just I, I'll wear the mask as well. So I, I, I'm willing to do it, but I but I do it as as an option as opposed to the government saying you have to in these different places. But again, I, I go back to the basic question: Tell me how we're going to enforce this. You know, what what are they going to do in Milwaukee? I mean, are you going to fine people for for doing this? Is it just going to be you know inside? Is it going to be outside? Are you going to fine them? Are you going to put them in jail? What are you going to do if people get the fine and tear up the ticket? Explain to me the enforcement mechanism that, that you have for this and, and how you're going to 
you're going to take make it be taken seriously, or is it easier just to do what we do now, which is if a particular store owner like Kerry was talking about with Costco, feels that, hey, this is what I want to do. I think it's important to protect my employees, et cetera, et cetera. So we're going to say you can't come in without a mask, which I think they have every right to do. Let's talk to Todd in Port Washington. Todd, you're on WTMJ. Thanks for taking my call, Jeff. Um, you're, you're right. They, each one of the businesses have uh, the right to be able to establish their own policies. Um what I fear what's going on here, you know, for these businesses, if they haven't already instituted it, they should have if they feel that strongly. But now they're wanting government to uh, put this into, into play so that there isn't an uneven playing field. You know, their competition doesn't uh, require wearing masks. And so they can just say, well, I didn't mandate it. it you know, we're just following the rules. Right. You know, it's, it, it's very similar to the, you know, the, back when we had all the arguments over the, the uh, smoking ban. You know, I, I appreciate not having the smoke in there, but right. I truly believe that, you know, the business has the right to choose what kind of environment they've got. Right. And whether or not, I guess part of the thing is, you know, whether or not in their individual business, whether the mask makes that much difference or not. And it's going to vary from business to business. If you have a, I don't know, a small watch repair store and you're behind plexiglass, okay, you know, do you need the person to come in wearing the mask when you're you're not going to be within six feet of them? And is, is it a bad idea? No, but is it something that the government needs to mandate? That's, see, I'm with you. I mean, thanks. It's kind of like that one size fits all thing. And again, I, you know, remember, Let's talk about enforcement, and I think that's a fair question. As much as it pains me to say this, this is what the alderman, Bob Bauman, is is talking about, too. I mean, imagine, we remember we had a curfew? Remember during, you know, after we had the, the protests and the, the violence that accompanied them in the beginning, you know, we had a, we had a curfew put in? And, and you know, how did we enforce the curfew? Well, the fact is we didn't enforce the curfew as a practical matter. So explain to me how we're going to enforce the mask Rule. I mean, just just tell me how that that's going to work. If somebody you see walking around that that's not wearing a mask, are we going to call the police? And are the Milwaukee police going to respond? Um, or does it make more sense, like I say, to do what they were talking about with with Costco? You got somebody at the door, and you say you got to wear a mask, and you got to keep on the mask. What if somebody goes into the place wearing a mask and then takes off the mask? I mean, are we going to call the cops on them? How how do we enforce this, even if we end up thinking it's it's a good I idea. Um, Jeff, I think business owners want universal compliance, including other public areas like park beaches and sidewalks, etc because they believe that much of the risks of the virus spread are beyond their control, but could impact them again if it gets out of control. Well, sure, I mean, I understand nobody wants to close down. And again, I I don't care. If, if they want to say you got to wear a mask to go into a business and I want to go into that business, I'll wear a mask. Okay, that that's that's the thing. But you need the government to do that, and how is the government going to enforce that? I mean, that's the operative question, because um, there are a lot of people that are just violently anti-mask. I'm not one of them, but there's a lot of people that are violently anti-mask, and, and they're not going to comply. And, and you can put all the ordinances you want on the books, just like you can say we have a curfew, but they're not going to apply. So tell me what we're going to do to force that and and 
how are we going to use the government to bring it in? Aren't you better off by just simply saying, okay, we're going to leave it up to individual businesses. We're going to encourage people to do this. And if a business wants to toss somebody out because they're not wearing a mask, you let the business toss somebody out because they're not wearing a, a mask. Just saying. This is Jeff Wagner. When we come back, but you know, who knows how this is all going to play out. It's clearly, there's a lot of political pressure in favor of saying, okay, let's impose the mask rule. And that's fine. If they do it in the city of Milwaukee, it's going to be great. But we you know what's going to happen when people decide not to comply. How, how are we going to deal with that? Don't put the ordinance into effect unless you know what that plan is going to be. Okay, when we come back, the appeals court finally comes down with an election ruling. We're going to discuss that. And country star Chase Rice. Well, he's getting a lot of attention. Should he apologize? We discuss. Live the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. I don't think Chase Rice has anything to apologize for, and I think some of the people that are criticizing him are nothing but hypocrites. Let's go back and start this off. Chase Rice is is a country music performer, Um, and as we all know, live music has really been kind of put on hold over the course of the, the last several months because there's many people, myself included, who are uncomfortable and not yet willing to go back to venues where you're sitting with thousands and thousands of people. It's it's not going to happen for a while. I don't know what it's going to take for me to to feel that way, but but I'm not comfortable going into those settings. But so live performances have essentially been put on hold. So here's the deal. Last Saturday night, country singer Chase Rice is performing at a place called the Brussy, Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary in Tennessee, Petros, Tennessee. Now, that sounds like an odd name for a concert venue. And you know why they call it the Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary? Because up until a few years ago, it was a, a state penitentiary. And so what, what they've done is it's it's transitioned out of being a maximum security uh, facility, and it, it's this big area, and they use it as a venue for all sorts of things, including they have a, an outdoor theater that seats up to 10,000 people. All right, so last Saturday night, they, they staged a concert featuring Chase Rice at this outdoor venue. What they did, now the capacity is 10,000. The rules in Tennessee, their advisement says, okay, for outdoor gatherings, you you limit them to 50% of capacity. So that would be 5,000. Well, what they ended up doing is that they actually limited it to about 1,100. So the venue seats 10,000 people. They, they limited it to 1,100, so it's operating at just a little bit over 10% of, of capacity. And they went ahead with the show. So it's this big venue. I mean, imagine, you know, imagine Miller Park. Miller Park seats, you know, 40,000 people. So, ballpark. So imagine you've got 4,000 people in Miller Park. You know, there, there's plenty of room to spread out. There's plenty of room to do what you want to do. It's not like 
it's overcrowded. So imagine 4,000 people in Miller Park. In this case, it's 1,000 people, actually 1,100, in a 10,000-seat venue. So people had all sorts of room to, to do what they wanted to do. Well, what happens is Chase Rice goes on stage, and the, the people that had attended, the 1,100 people in this massive facility, they decided that they wanted to, it was primarily younger people, they wanted to get closer to the stage, so they kind of all queued up together and, and were dancing. Now, you see and singing along and things like that. Some were wearing masks, most weren't. All right, so they're, they're singing, et cetera, et cetera. If you look at the, the videos of this, it looks like there's a lot more people that were there than were actually there. Because like I say, you don't, you don't get the view of, of the huge empty spaces. But there was plenty of room for people to spread out. But people made a decision they didn't want to. Everybody wanted to get closer. Okay, so this video comes out of the guy performing, and he is just being reamed by people who are going, I, how irresponsible of this was for, for you to, to play this show and, and look at all these people that are there and they're not wearing masks and they're singing, etc. This is just irresponsible. Well, okay, Chase Rice really isn't backing off on that. I mean, he says, I'm not apologizing for this. He said, look, we, we played a venue that was 10% of capacity. There was plenty of space for people to be. It wasn't like this was some packed thing where we're putting 20,000 people into a hall that seats 18,000. And he says, yeah, I mean, there was plenty of room for people to, to spread out. Now, it, it's true. A lot of people wanted to get close to the stage and they wanted to dance. But, you know, I, I can't control that. That was a decision that people ended up making. All right. So I, I'm, I'm not going to apologize. You know, we were following all the rules. Now, he doesn't say this, but I'm also going to add to it. My guess is a lot of the people that were criticizing this performer for bringing a 1,000 people into a 10,000-seat venue were the same people who were saying, oh, nothing to see here with all these protests that are out. You know, everybody that's you've, you've got thousands and thousands of people on a daily basis that are crammed close together and walking and screaming and singing and doing all that. Well, that's everybody's right. This is something that should be applauded. Well, okay, my question is, I guess twofold. First of all, can you have it both ways? If we're going to say, okay, protests, good, people showing up in large groups, some of whom are wearing masks, many of whom aren't, screaming, chanting, etc. If, if that's good, and we don't think that that's going to contribute to the spread of COVID-19, how can we turn around and be outraged when a performer plays to 10% capacity of a huge venue? Secondly, if people make the decision, you know, and by the way, when they went into the venue, apparently they were given hand sanitizer and they also had their temperature checked. All right. That, that's not an absolute guarantee. But if people come in under those circumstances and they make the decision that they want to get close together, is that the fault of the performer? 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should Chase Rice be apologizing or is this a situation where, candidly, he, he's getting a bad rap? Playing a venue that's outdoors, 10% of capacity, people temperature checked before they come in, and people, I guess, making the decision that they're willing to get close to each other. I mean, is that his fault? Should he not perform in front of crowds at all? And is that the standard? No concert. So all the musicians out there, you're not going to be able to do anything in person for 
what, six months, a year, two years? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, I, I think he's getting a bad rap. I don't think that the performer did anything wrong. And I think at some point in time, you know, if people make the decision that they, number one, want to go to the event, and number two, if they have the option to spread out but decide that they're not going to do it, there's only so much you can do. And it's not the performer's fault. 855-616-1620. Should Chase Rice be apologizing? We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. See, I, I, I find this discussion to be so interesting because, I, a matter of fact, I'm getting a couple texts from people saying, well, you know, he was just playing a, a concert, performing his livelihood. You know, you, you can't compare that to the, the people that are out there protesting. Well, it, it, you can compare it because it's not a question of the relative importance. The question is, are, are mass gatherings good or are they bad? And if the idea is, okay, well, you can go out for this type of mass gathering where you have a lot more people than showed up at this concert, well, you know, why can't you do the other things? If you're just tuning in, get this country singer, he's performing at the show, the venue is 10,000 people. They limit, they limit the audience to uh, 1,100. So it's 10%. There's all this space that people can spread out to. And what happens is a bunch of people get close to the stage and then they take this video and they show all these people that are close up and, and singing. But that's that's a choice that they ended up making. And I guess this is a very serious question that I have here because if if we're going to condemn this particular performer, th- does this mean that we're, we're not going to be able to do anything? Is it... Are we not going to be able to have any sort of large group gatherings? And then until when? The fall, next year, until you get a a therapeutic, until you get a vaccine, whatever. I mean, once you find out these details, and it's not like they packed thousands and thousands of people into a small venue. Venue for 10,000, 1,100 people show up. There's all sorts of space. I mean, again, think Miller Park. Think, you know, it seats 40,000 or more. Imagine all the space you have if 4,000 people show up. This is the equivalent of that. But if all these people show up and they decide that they all want to sit in the same area, is that the fault of the performer? Jeff, uh, here's some text. He should absolutely not apologize. It's ridiculous to even ask him to do that. Um, Jeff, Chafes was right for performing at that venue. Um, Jeff, Chase should tell them, well, to do something anatomically impossible. Jeff, it's not his fault because how is he supposed to manage every single person that's in the crowd? That would be impossible. What people do is up to them. Um, yeah, I guess that's kind of, that, that's kind of how I, I look at it. Should we have said to the people that took the streets or continue to take to the streets engaging in protests? No, you, you're not allowed to do that. You, you can't do it. No. What, what we do is we say, look, social distancing is important. You know how coronavirus spreads. You, you want to be careful with that. But at the same time, if some people decide that they're not going to follow those rules and they're not going to wear masks and they're going to be shouting and singing, are, are we going to arrest them? You know, what you have to do, and this is what we have to do moving forward, you have to realize that people have to take responsibility for themselves. And candidly, like I say, I, I'm not, I, I don't care whether it's a 1,000 people or 10,000 people, 
I'm not going into large crowds. I, I don't know what my comfort level is, but certainly not hundreds and hundreds of people. I'm just flat out not going to do it because I don't feel comfortable with being around those people. But on the other hand, I mean, I think we've got to start getting back to, you know, um, some, I hate the cliche, but to some sense of normalcy. Got to start getting back to that. And for people who put on live performances, yeah, I think, you know, you're going to see that. You're going to see this in football stadiums, I, I think, in into the fall. You're going to see it. I just, they announced the Kentucky Derby. They're going to run the Kentucky Derby in September, and they're going to allow a limited number of people you know, back into the venue. Well, okay, if you've got a venue that seats 40,000 and you get 5,000 people that are there and the people decide they want to congregate and they make that decision, how how could you stop them from doing that? Here's a text, Jeff. I would absolutely go into a small concert audience like this, especially with a positive environment. There's no chance that I would go near the protesting. Um, Jeff, the country singer is an idiot for having that show. All concerts, fairs, all summer events are being canceled. Why would this guy have a concert? We need to be safe. Well, okay. He's having a concert because he's having it in a venue that's outdoors, that's limited as far as the capacity goes, and that obviously people want to go to and attend, or else they wouldn't show up. Nobody holds a gun to your head and says that tonight's Saturday night, you got to go to the Chase Rice concert. I mean, it's this, I guess it's this idea that we, we can't allow people to make decisions for themselves, and we need to have Big Brother come in and say, nope, you know, we're, we're not going to allow you to, to do that. I mean, I think at some point in time, you got to let people start making decisions for themselves and recognize that there's going to be some consequences. And for those of us who don't want to expose ourselves to the risk that, hey, you're going to be around a thousand people and some of them might be sick or whatever. All right. You just stay home. I, I get it. That's why I'd, I'd be saying home. Um, let's see. Um, Jeff, let people sit at home in their bubble and just ignore them. I think it's important that life goes on. Well, again, there's, as I've been saying, there's a balancing between all this, and you have to figure out, okay, where is that risk-reward? And if you're very concerned with this, you, you don't go at all. I think from a venue to say we're going to limit this to you know 10% of capacity, I don't know. I guess I don't find that to be terribly unreasonable. And if people decide that they want to congregate, well, there's only so much you can do. That's the decision that they end up make making for themselves, isn't it? This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.